The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. What's good, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sukov. I'll be your host tonight on this Sunday evening, May 28th, 2023. Before we begin, I want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming information on future shows. And if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast WGBB Sports Talk New York on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. So it, it's been a little bit since I've been here. And it's nice to be back. I just wish the door had been a little bit forth, more forthcoming. I got here and I was going through my key ring and wasn't sure which key opened the door. I was sitting there like, was it, was it this one? Was it this one? It took me about three tries, but I finally got there. And it, it, it definitely looked like a, like a three student skit where I'm sitting there trying to jam the key into the door. I think I might have used my house key. I might have used, uh, the garage key and then finally got it right. But it's, but it's nice to be back. And we got a great day for it. You know, it's Memorial Day weekend. Everybody's out doing things. It's nice weather. You know, people are barbecuing. They're playing golf. They're going on boats. They're doing what, whatever it is that, you're out doing, and it's also a great sports weekend. Like everybody likes to talk about how October and March are great because that's where you have everything happening. You know, October, you got baseball, you got football, you got you got soccer, you got hockey, you got basketball. Everything's happening. But if you look at Memorial Day weekend, there's so much happening on on this weekend alone. You have everybody's playing baseball. If you're, if it's your thing, the Indy 500 was today. The Monaco Grand Prix was today. Which, and that's, I'm not a racing person, but that is a bucket list item for me. I want to go to Monaco, pretend I'm one of the elite, and just rub elbows with all the, with all the rich people. I want to do that. I couldn't even care less about the racing. Uh, as cool as it would be to see that, I just want to go, I just want to go on somebody's yacht and, and drink with them. Like, I, that, that's what I want to do. Uh, today was the last weekend of Premier League. If, English soccer is your thing, and you know, for anybody who watches, congratulations to Manchester City on winning yet another Premier League championship with a guy who I contend would be the, a great Bond villain in the next movie. Once, once they find who the next James Bond is going to be, and I'm, I'm pining for Taron Egerton. I think he would be a perfect one. They need to bring that guy on to be the next villain because he, like, he could, he looks the part. And not only that, you also have the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs. Just everything is happening. Yes, we don't have football, but there's still some football stories going on. Like, we're finding out that Aaron Rodgers is a big Taylor Swift fan. We learned that this week. And it's still kind of, I'm still kind of processing the fact that Aaron Rodgers is a jet. And I've been waiting so long for that. All those weeks of, is he going to come? Is he not going to come? And then he does McAfee in March, and he says, my intention is to play for the Jets, and now it's just a matter of let's get it done. 
and then another month passes, and they finally get him, and it's real. He shows up to that press conference with with the jet hoodie, and it just looked it looks perfect on him. You see social media doing all their flight twenty three, which if you haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend you do on the Jet's YouTube channel. They have a whole behind the scenes, almost like a documentary of everything leading up to and the day of the Aaron Rodgers trade. It's 48 minutes. It's really good. They have their second one for the year on the NFL draft. And it just came out on Thursday. So there's, there's a plug for that. But it, it's nice to know that he's here now. And as long as everything goes well between now and September, and I'm, as I say that, I am knocking on every piece of wood I can find in this studio that expectations should be higher for the Jets than they have been in a very long time. But because it's May and the work that has, that we're not there yet. We're not even in training camp. We, we just got through OTAs and the next big thing, next domino that has to fall is either they have to sign DeAndre Hopkins or they need to sign Quentin Williams. Ideally they do both. I expect one, not the other. And by the one, I expect them to extend Quentin Williams because you can't Go into this season with him not on your defensive line. That would be unacceptable and would be a real slap in the face to a guy who's given everything he has for the last four years and you're not going to pay him? No. Like that man needs to be signed. But because that's, that's not a May problem. That's an August problem. Like when next time I come on, we can, we can discuss it then. What's the pressing thing right now? The guy's in pinstripes. And I don't even know if I can call it pressing. Because they're still sitting at 32 and 23 a third of the way through the season. So like that, in any other year, in any other division, they'd be sitting pretty. They'd be sitting in first place. They'd be three games ahead of the next team. And nobody would care. But because they play in the American League East, which is the toughest division in the league, where every team is over 500, every team is competitive, and you can make a legitimate case for, maybe not the Red Sox, even they're still hanging around, but you can make a legitimate case for the other four teams in that division that they all have claim to first place. And the and everyone's saying the Yankees are having a disappointing season. That To me, that's crazy. Like, yes, I, I watch the games there at times. I'm frustrated with them, just like every other fan is. Because they do some things that make me scratch my head. You know, you're running out of different lineup every night. You're play, you were playing Aaron Hicks way too often and they finally, they finally released him this week. So that, that's a, that's a story for another time because I could probably go an entire hour about how signing Aaron Hicks to a seven year contract for 70 million was one of the worst decisions that Brian Cashman ever made. And that's not including signing Carlos Rodon this offseason. Well, we'll get, we'll get into Rodon a little bit later because there, there's some, there's definitely some things that need to be said about that. But, after going three and three on this homestand where they played Baltimore and San Diego, two very good opponents and splitting those six games. Ideally, I would have liked it to have been the other way around and they would have beaten the Orioles two out of three rather than the Padres two out of three. I can't be too upset with that because they did take two out of three against a good Padre team who have expectations this year with a stacked roster and with the exception of Manny Machado not playing, they're, pre- they're pretty much healthy. And they take two out of three, winning today 10 to 7, with Garrett Cole not being at his best. 
Like he he gave up another home run, which and that's a, that's a big issue. He's given up eight home runs so far this year, which is a lot in the first two months of the season. You know, since he's come to the Yankees, he's had an issue giving up home runs, and especially now that he doesn't have the spider sack anymore, we're we're seeing his home run numbers go up. And yet, even still, he still comes in, comes after this game with an ERA under three. He's averaging, he has 79 strikeouts and 73 and two-thirds innings pitched, so you're looking at almost 10 strikeouts per nine innings, which is still really good. Like, most, most teams would kill for that, and we're talking about how he's underperforming because of the fact that he came in here with a huge price tag and the expectation is placed on him to be the man, to show up and come in there and pitch to a 2.1 ERA and strike out 7,000 people a year and pitch seven innings every game. And that doesn't happen. But if you said if you said to any other team, fans, said here's a pitcher who comes in here with a 6-0 record, 2.93 ERA, 10 strikeouts per nine, and you're winning games. You would sign up for that in a heartbeat. And and just because and but then once you put that forty million dollar price tag on, it's like, oh, okay, like maybe he should be doing a little bit more. And of course, you could say that. You could say that about anybody. You could say that about the guy making the league minimum that he should be doing more because then that's how he's going to earn his pay. And I get that. But I, I look at Garrett Cole and I need to. I, what I want to see is. Him bringing that 2.93 ERA to the playoffs, and not bringing a six ERA to the playoffs. I want to see Nestor Cortez continue to to pitch well. Like we've seen him kind of be up, a little bit up and down this year. And I want to see him kind of get. I want to see him get back to what the 2022 Nestor Cortez. But for today, really, Cole had one bad inning. It was his last inning. He pitches into the sixth, pitches into the seventh, and then it just. Kind of falls apart, uh, gives up the home run in the sixth to Rugen Odor, and then that's it. He's out of the game. Padres make it interesting. Yankees tack on a couple and then in the eighth to give Clay Holmes a little bit of cushion, which really good thing he, that that happened, that, uh, Higashioka gets the, gets the extra insurance. And Clay Holmes, I, I like the guy. I do. But Mariano Rivera, he is not. When Clay Holmes comes in, I get a little nervous. Like, even, even when Aroldis Chapman came in, I would, like, I got nervous around Aroldis Chapman because that dude just, it was either he was going to strike you out on eight, on nine pitches, or he was going to walk the ballpark, and you were going to be, you were going to be bound up so tight that once he finally got the third out, that pressure release would probably shoot you through the ceiling. Clay Holmes has a very similar effect, but he also doesn't throw 105 miles an hour. So you can hit him. I'm curious how this team's going to respond if you know you're you're running around with a revolving bullpen closer situation all season long. You don't have that one guy that you can rely on. To finish games for you, because what are you going to do? 
What are you going to do in the playoffs? Are you just going to, you just going to keep trotting them out there and then see which one works? You can't really do that in a best of five or a best of seven series. So, you know, maybe you look for relief help in, at the trade deadline. They did it last year and everybody got hurt. You know, Lou Trevino out, Scott F. Frost out. And we haven't seen the wise again in a while waiting on him to come back. Michael King finally came back. He's looking okay. You know, Ron Marinaccio not pitching well of late, but we've seen him do well over the last couple of years. So they, they don't have that, they don't have that guy. You know, when you, when you look at other teams, like you look at teams that, like, like someone like, like, like Craig Kimbrell or Kenley Jansen when he was with the Dodgers, like you knew that that guy was going to come in there and shut the door and the Yankees don't have that right now. And they're going to have to look for that if they want to, they want to finish up in the World Series. You look at, you look at the lineup. It, it's still a little bit left to be desired and I know some people are hurt, but for the most part, your main guys are there. You know, Judge is Judge. He's going to mash, and he he's been doing that since he since he got there in 2016. Like you know what he is, and he got he comes in today, hits another home run, giving him 15 on the year. And I I think Gus is bringing that those good vibes. And I'm a proponent of this, and I think it should be more widely accepted. There needs to be more park in the park days. Like like one of the I watched videos of. Of this week was Aaron Judge playing with his, with his dog as they're, they're running on the field and he, you see Aaron Judge throw a ball and the dog stops like, do you realize how far you threw it? And I, I like to envision that he accidentally threw that ball like into the stands and like, like he just like wasn't paying attention and then he, like the ball just like traveled all the way across the field into the stands on the third base line and this dog is looking at Aaron Judge like, you want me to go get that ball? No, it was probably like ten feet away. I did also like the jokes that 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 people made that because of how big Aaron Judge is, that dog's actually like a, a hundred pound Labrador Retriever. I thought that was funny. Like those people are very creative. You know, props to them. But again, that leads me to there needs to be more bark in the park days. Like every team does it. You see it a lot in the minor leagues. You know, people bring bring their bring your dogs to the park. It's great. Like it, it, it's a fun time. I, I don't think I've ever seen the Yankees do that. I can't recall ever seeing the Yankees do that. Maybe they should. Like, it, it's something to loosen things up. And who doesn't like who doesn't like dogs? Do it. I think that would bring more good vibes to the Yankees. It might it might might loosen things up a little bit. That's just me. I I want to also as we're we're waiting on to see what is deal with Anthony Rizzo left the game with a neck injury was taken out for what was considered precautionary reasons. You know, got got hit by Fernando Tatis on a pickoff play. Hopefully he's okay because Rizzo's been one of their best players this year, and I'm so glad they brought him back because he's hitting over 300. He's got pop in the bat, drives in runs, gives Aaron Judge protection in the lineup. That's someone you, you do not want to lose. They can afford to lose Josh Donaldson. The fans don't care. Like, we don't like Josh Donaldson. We like Anthony Rizzo. As we should. Just like, just like the Cubs fans did. Like, he contributes. He's, he's a good team player, good leader. That's somebody you want on your team at all times. And you want him around at all times. That's, that's a big loss where you, you lose 
auto protection for Justin Lund. Like you, like if Rizzo's out more than a couple days, you're gonna see people pitch around Judge because he doesn't have Stan protecting him. He doesn't have Rizzo protecting him. Like maybe you put Torres behind him, who's been hitting okay, but it's not the same. That that's like saying you know you want you wanted a, a hamburger at the restaurant and they they ran out of they ran out of ground meat. So they say here here's a turkey burger. It's fine. Like you'll eat it, but it's not the same. It's not what you wanted, and it's not it's not what Judge needs. Judge needs Rizzo behind him. He needs Stanton behind him. And Harrison Bader could hit behind Aaron Judge. Like he's still he's still hitting okay. Like he's still putting up a two fifty batting average. He got got a little pop in the bat. I I'm a big fan of him. I I was skeptical when they brought him in. Like I I knew who Harrison Bader was when they brought him on. But I really like Jordan Montgomery. I thought of, I didn't understand the trade, especially because Bader was hurt when they did it. Like, you're fighting for a playoff spot. Montgomery's pitched well. Why would you trade him for, for a guy who's injured and not going to contribute? Now I get it. And I want to say that I, I underestimated Cashman on that one. Like, there are a lot of moves that he's made over the last couple of years that I look at him like, why would you do that? And that was one of them. But this one, I, I've changed my mind on. I, I see his point. And I say, I say kudos to you. But then that leads me to where, that, that brings me right back to where we were talking earlier about Carlos Rodon. Cause that's a move that I flipped the other way around. I said this was a good move. Like that's somebody who's gonna help anchor the rotation with Garrett Cole. He's gonna be a great number two. And we're looking at another Carl Pavano. I mean, hopefully not. Like, hopefully when, once Rodon actually does get healthy, whenever that is, he actually pitches and plays out the length of the contract. But right now, he had a setback, what, two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? And we haven't heard anything since. Not, not a medical, not an update, like, oh, he's playing catch or he's, you know, at the doctor doing X, Y, Z. We haven't heard any of that. So that kind of leads me to believe that whatever the setback was is a lot worse than they're letting on. And if they don't see him until after the All-Star break or even not this season at all, how can you justify giving him that kind of money when he didn't pitch? I, I just I don't find the way... That's logical, and it's funny because I, because I, when I, when I was looking at all this before the show, like I was looking at Rodon's contract, and it's one hundred and sixty-two million dollars. It's a lot of money, and I and I said like, oh, you know, it's like it's like Carl Pavano all over again. And then I looked at Carl Pavano's contract. Carl Pavano's contract was a steal compared to Carlos Rodon. It was like forty-five million dollars, and I'm talking forty-five million dollars like it's the twenty bucks I have in my wallet right now. But compared to $162 million, it is. But, like, you look at, so, like, a guy like Carl Pavano's contract right now would be, like, a bench player who, you know, plays 45, 50 games a year, gets 120 at-bats, and pulls in $9 million as a veteran presence in, in the locker room and on the and in the dugout. Meanwhile, 15, 20 years ago, that was, like, top-tier money, Outside of guys like Alex Rodriguez or Albert Pujols or Manny Ramirez. 
Like that, like that was like Carpovano, like Carlos Rodon, was the big fish. Like that was the guy that everybody wanted, and the Yankees were the ones who got him. In in both cases, and then he got hurt, and that was the end. Thankfully, at least though, for the Yankees, one of the guys who actually has pitched since he's come back from injury in Luis Severino has been halfway decent. You know, the first game against Cincinnati, obviously he's on a pitch limit. I was kind of hoping he was going to get through that sixth inning or that fifth inning. I I was I wanted to see him get through that. I I knew he wasn't they weren't going to go past seventy five or eighty, but it was still a little disheartening just to see them not let him finish it out. But then his next start, he pitches through the six, which he looked good. I was very, I was pretty happy with that. Now that Domingo Herman's going to be back from suspension, he'll pitch in Seattle tomorrow. Where, you know, we'll be, we'll be sitting there eating our hot dogs and hanging out at the grill, hanging out with people that we want to be with. And we'll be watching Domingo Herman pitching his first game after suspension for having sticky substance on his hands. And we'll see how he does. And selfishly for me, I hope he pitches great because I just picked him up in fantasy baseball because I thought that was going to be a steal and a move. Figured I'd give him a shot, see what happens. And they're playing a Seattle Mariners team. They're not, they're a good team. Like, you know, they're, like they're on, they're on the up and up, but the Yankees, I believe, are better than them. And even with, even with a West Coast trip, the Yankees don't always do great on the West Coast. I think they can beat Seattle. I think Herman had, that's a good test for him to come back to. Like it's not like that. It's not like he has to pitch against the Rays or the Blue Jays or the Orioles. Like he he gets a road game against a team that they can take. They can handle their business. Should be a good spot. And when it, as I look at other players that really need to hit their spot, it's Anthony Volpe. I, I know we he, he came into the year, there was a lot of hype, and rightfully so. There should have been a lot of hype. He played great in spring training. He's the next big thing. He's been the number one prospect in the organization for the last three years. Like, you got Volpe's coming, Volpe's coming, Volpe's coming. Like, this is going to be our shortstop of the future. And we bought in, as we, as Yankee fans do. And he's done okay. Like, he, he's got... He's put up some decent home run numbers, driving in runs, he's stealing bases. But the batting average is not, is a little something less to be desired. Sitting at 198 after today's game. And I know batting average is not the be all end all. I, I get that. I, I'm, while I'm not a slave to the analytics as I hate it, I think it's dumb. I, I get that there's more factors than batting average. But it still looks ugly when you're below the Mendoza line. I'm sorry, like that's just that's just unacceptable. Like I I could like if you wanted to tell me that you know his batting average on balls in play was 427, but you know he's hitting it right at people. Like okay, that that doesn't matter because at the end of the day he's still out. That's still one out, two out, three out. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you hit the ball a thousand miles an hour and 99% of the time it's a base hit. If every time he does that, it's caught by somebody, it's still an out. It's still nothing happened. I, I just, I don't think, I, I think batting average should be more, 
more valued. And now that we see that how the how things are being impacted by the lack of the shift, which I thought I was going to hate. I thought it was a, I thought it was a stupid rule that these are professional athletes who should be able to tinker their their hitting approach to be able to hit to quote Yogi Berra, hit it where they ain't. And I, I'm pleasantly surprised that I actually am I'm okay with the shift ban. I, I think I think having two people on either side of the infield actually is all right. I, I've I've gotten over my I've gotten over my feelings on that. I think that was actually a good change. I I will I will stand I will die on the hill that the pitch clock was a great thing though. I like I remember seeing it in the minor leagues, and after a couple innings, I didn't even notice it anymore, and the game just flows. It flows so much better. You don't see too many instances where pitchers or hitters aren't ready with seven or eight seconds left on the clock. And I, I think players are getting used to it. And now as more players who played in the minor leagues with this pitch clock are going to come out to the majors where it's going to be commonplace to them. It's kind of like when the NHL required visors on their helmets to prevent facial injuries. Visors are required at the lower levels of minor leagues and college and everything like that. Even like in college and high school, like they, like you're required to wear a full cage. So when you're already used to doing that, that, that's like, that's like coming in or almost at an advantage. Like you're, you're used to doing it. So when, so other players are then getting used to it. And I think there's only maybe a handful of players left active in the NHL now who don't wear visors. So eventually in like the next three to five years, you're not going to see that anymore. And people complain, but you know what? It's not that big a deal. Like I, if they didn't put the, the pitch clock timer on the score, on the score, on the interactive scoreboard in the corner, I wouldn't even know how much time was left on the clock. I, I'm like, it would just be, let's go, let's go. And that to me, that's a good thing. Like games were getting stagnant because people were just standing around. There was nothing happening. It for it forces the action, and I think that I think that's a good thing. You know, we're, and be, we're and now because of the we're, we're because of that we're seeing more stolen bases because more people are on base. You know, with the limited pickoff plays, which also saves a couple minutes. Yeah, you know, you're you're seeing more action on the base paths. I, I think people got a little bit bent out of shape over these rules, but ultimately what the rules that they put in place for this season going forward, I think were all good things. I would still get rid of the ghost runner on second base. I just hate that rule, and that to me is not baseball. But other people like it, so maybe eventually I'll come around on that one. I don't think I ever will. But then again, some people said that about the designated hitter. People said that about insert a rule in any sport that you hated that now you don't even think about it anymore. So that that's just going to be how it is, and we just have to live with it. We're going to take a quick break. When we when we come back, like I said, there was a lot of stuff going on in May and June, and we got the NHL and the NBA playoffs reaching their fun conclusions. We'll be right back here on WGBB Sports Talk New York.
listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back here on WGBB Sports Talk New York here on WGBB, 1240 AM and 95.9 FM. I'm Andy Sukhoff. And before I start my second half of the show, as always, got a shout out to my man Brian Griggs behind the glass. Brian, we good tonight? Got the double thumbs up. I got the double thumbs up from Brian. I, I usually only get one. Two, like two, two is a, two is a big, that's a big deal. So like, like I, like I said at the opening of the show, May's a good sports month, especially because it's championship season. Maybe, maybe not for the sports that you necessarily watch religiously, but for the people who do watch the NHL and the NBA, this is prime time. You, you watch, you watch your team for six months. 82 games. You sat there and lived and died with every missed shot, with every save, with every goal. And now, we're down to the final four. Uh, actually, really, yeah, still the final four, I guess, because, you know, you're, you still have a couple teams waiting to, uh, decide who's gonna play where. And, I gotta say this, and there's a friend of mine that, if he's listening, he's going to fall off his chair because I'm going to start with the NBA, not the NHL, even though we've had discussions back and forth over the the merits of the two sports. And I'm Team, M- team NHL, he's Team NBA. And I have never said to him that I dislike the NBA. I said I dislike how the game is played because I don't believe in watching a game that's just a three-point contest back and forth. Where every game is 147 to 130. I, I don't enjoy that. But I do like the game of basketball. And then he come, and he'll come back at me and say, oh, you know, watching a game where, you know, if you shoot at 20%, you're great. Like, yeah. The difference is, it's a, you're playing against, you you had this goalie, for one thing. You know, and the goalie takes up the entire net, so it's kind of hard to score goals, like, you know, you, I, I, I can put up a, I can put up a, I can huck up a shot. I, I might make it. I can't get on the ice and skate and shoot on a goalie and score. Like, ah, that's not happening. As I'm in fact that I can't skate, so I would fall, I would fall all over myself and look like an idiot. Like, I, I might be able to put one up from wherever and if, you know, God forbid, you know, I manage to get an open look in, in a basketball game, I might actually hit the shot and, Granted, nobody wants me to do that. Just put me up, put me in the corner, and just let let everybody else play. We're down. Da- we're down to the conference finals, and we've already got one team in each league has already punched their ticket. Looking at look at the NBA, you got Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets finally making it to the NBA Finals. And Jokic is a multi-time MVP. He's one of the best players in the league. The Nuggets are rolling. They took out 
the great LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers who were looking to make that one that one last run. And the Nuggets just beat them down. Like the Lakers had no answer for them. And maybe that's a sign of the Lakers' age. You know, LeBron is 38. He's been in the league for 20 years. So, yeah, like, he's not, he's not 27 years. He's not Miami Heat LeBron James. He's not, he's not even Cleveland Cavaliers the second time around LeBron James. He's, he's getting older. That's gonna happen. You're gonna slow down. You can't play 48 minutes at high intensity every night anymore. It just doesn't happen. And the the Nuggets just went out there and just annihilated them. And I, I think no matter who they play, whether it's the Miami Heat or the suddenly surging Boston Celtics, who after starting the series down 3-0, have forced a game seven. Which, who would have thought that a week ago? And I, I was in Boston last weekend. And I, I was at a bar. Where it's the night of game two. You know, it's, Celtics are at home. Miami had won game one. And just just for kicks, I actually when I looked at ticket prices for that for that game that night, I'm like, you know what, I'm here. I don't want to go, but I'm curious. And like, let's say there's like somebody was sell just wanted to like dump their tickets cheap for like two hundred bucks. I might have considered it. I actually saw tickets online like an hour before the game going for like two hundred and twenty five dollars. And I thought to myself, that's insane to me. Because a month ago, when I was looking at tickets for the New York Rangers in the first round of the playoffs, I'm not talking the conference finals, I'm not talking the Stanley Cup finals, I'm talking the first round of the playoffs against the New Jersey Devils. The cheapest ticket I found was 350 and that was before fees and taxes. I would have been probably paying $400 a ticket for a first round game. This with fees and taxes and everything like that for a conference finals game just three hours to my north was $200 cheaper. And that, that to me blows my mind that when you can say that you have a, a more popular sport that you're charging 50% less for conference finals than a hockey team is charging for the first round. And I, I get it that Boston and New York are two different cities. And but you can't tell me that if it was the Knicks in Miami in the in the Eastern Conference Finals that those tickets aren't at least six or seven hundred dollars. So to see it for two for two twenty five just was completely shocking to me. But it's kind of fun to when you have no rooting interest in the game, just to kind of sit there and watch it and watch other people who do have a vested interest in it. Because then you, you kinda get you kinda get into the game and even if you're not rooting for anybody, you you, you get you get charged up for the big play. Or, you know, when that three gets hit that makes it a tie game or gives the team the lead and everybody's into it, you you kinda you kinda find yourself invested. And we're sitting with the bunch of, with a bunch of Celtics fans, because again, we're in we're in Boston. And like that game's going back and forth, back and forth. Like Miami starts to kind of take control at the end of the game with like you know like like six five minutes left, and you just see, and it's it's like 
it's like you went to a funeral home. The whole bar is just silent. As the heat were up, I think, 10 with like four minutes to go. And you just kind of saw the the pall just kind of hit their faces like, this game is over, not good, this is bad. I would like to be there I, on Tuesday when they play in Game 7. I, I'd be so intrigued to see how that game goes because when when you think about a Game 7 where anything can happen, and it's in Boston. Like, think of how much fun that would be to be sitting there and people watching just because you can. I, I'd be, I'd be a big fan of that. And even though it's not my thing, like, I, I would, I would like to see, see that all and just kind of take it all in. And I take that back. The Heat and Celtics play tomorrow. Not Tuesday. But I, I will be watching, I will be watching tomorrow the Western Conference Finals in the NHL between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars. Cause that, that's where my head goes. And again, I have no vested interest in this. Rangers got eliminated a month and a half ago. They broke my heart because they played like absolute garbage from games Three through seven, even six, they didn't look that good, even though they won. And good riddance to Gerard Gallant. I have no idea who they're going to hire as coach. I just really hope it's not Peter Laviolette. I would actually like to see the Hartford Wolfpack coach come on up. Apparently, from what I've been reading from Vince McCogliano and Larry Brooks, is that he's a good X's and O's guy. So that's somebody who can make adjustments in a game, which Glint couldn't do, and that was beyond frustrating. When you'd be sitting there saying, okay, the cross-ice pass to Panarin's not working. Why don't we try something else? And he never would. And that was especially apparent when Patrick Kane came, and he, and he put Kane and Panarin on a line together. You saw that they were trying to make that play between Kane and Panarin work, and it just wasn't because every team could telegraph it because they knew it was coming. Oh, Kane has the puck. Watch Panarin steal the puck, go down the ice, odd man rush, score. And it happened way more often than it showed him. And it took them way too long to realize, oh, we need to fix this. But we don't see that with the Stars and the Knights. Like, they actually know how to make adjustments. They know how to make things interesting. It's the Stars especially. You know, they were down 3-0. They're now down 3-2 after winning games 4 and 5. With the Stars winning game 5 in Vegas, so game 6 will be in Dallas. I I think I, what I like most about that is, is, is Dallas Stars Joe Pavelski. He, people are remembering why he's Captain America. You know, came up clutch against Seattle. Scored four goals in game one. Had goals in three straight games against them in games three, four, and five. Scores the overtime winner in game four to keep the Stars alive. Has another assist in game, in game five. So he, he's, he's doing everything that he can to keep Dallas in that series. 
You know, Dallas has been to the Stanley Cup recently. They went in the, co- in the COVID season in 2020 when they were playing in the bubble where they lost to, they lost to Tampa. The Knights have been to the finals recently going there in 20, in their first season in the league in 2017-2018 where the Capitals finally won their first championship and Alex Ovechkin got, got his. So th- there's there's playoff pedigree on these rosters. And that's what's making this series so much fun. Like they know what they know what it takes to get to the promised land. Now it's just a matter of winning in when they get on the big stage. And they the Knights had a good road to get there. They beat Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers in the second round of the playoffs. And that He's somebody I'm very curious when he's finally going to get his. Because he's kind of reminding me of an of an Alex Ovechkin type, where he's the leader of the team, he's popular, everybody loves him, the team has so much talent around him, and yet they just continue to lose in the second round of the playoffs, just like the Capitals did. You know, every, every year, oh, this is going to be the Capitals' year. Every year, Capitals lose to the Penguins. Capitals lose to the Rangers. Capitals lose to the Penguins again. Capitals lose to the Rangers again. And they finally got there. It took Ovechkin 14 years, but he finally won. And I think McDavid's on the year like six or seven, so he's still got like he's still like halfway there, got some time to go. But you know, that's somebody you want to see win. It's like that's somebody who's good for the game, and you want you want to see him lift the cup. You want to see that for Edmonton. I mean, like all those years where everybody said, "Oh, the the draft was rigged for them," and I believe it was, they still got nothing to show for it. They have all these great players, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, and it just hasn't all come to, they haven't won. And that's where that's where I believe, in my opinion, the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win in sports. Because you could have this great team, you could have this great season, and at the end of the day, if you get if you run into a hot team, you get nothing. Look at the Boston Bruins. They, they won 65 games this year. They set the record for most points in an NHL season. They set the record for most wins in an NHL season. And they lost in the first round of the playoffs. Now, as it turns out, they lost to the team that wound up winning the Eastern Conference Finals, and they are going to represent the Eastern Conference in the Stanley Cup Final in the Florida Panthers. But that was not expected. When the playoffs started, I looked at the bracket. I said, okay, Boston's going to beat beat Florida in four. They're going to beat Tampa in f- five. And I, that was when I thought that the Lightning were going to beat the Maple Leafs again, which I was very shocked when they didn't. And then they're, then they're going to beat the Hurricanes and the Rangers in five and then play a seven-game series against Colorado, and that's going to be all she wrote. The Boston Bruins are gonna put up the great, the greatest season in the history of hockey, other than the 76-77 Canadians. And yet, because hockey is so unpredictable, they go out there and they lose to the Florida Panthers. And props to the Panthers because their story is fun. Like they, they bring in Matthew Kachuk this year from Calgary Flames. And that, and that was a big move because they, they traded one of their, one of their best players to get him. And now Matthew Kachuk is far and away their best player. And he has come up 
as clutch as any person can in the playoffs not named Justin Williams. And while that name still gives me chills down my spine to this day, Matthew Kachuk's name will not until he does it to the Rangers. But watching him in this playoffs is nothing short of amazing. He is, anytime the Panthers have had any big play, he is in the center of it. Overtime winners. Uh, you know, helping take down the Toronto Maple Leafs in the second round of the playoffs. And then the other night with 4.5 seconds to go, scoring that power play goal against Carolina to finish the sweep to send the Panthers to the finals. I was watching that game on my couch and I had, I, I was sitting out, like I, had, I put up the recliner and I'm like, I'm like, all right, like what, like once this game ends, I'm going to get up. And that goal got me out of my seat as fast as I've gotten out of a, that recliner seat. Cause that, I will tell you this, that like once you get comfortable in a recliner, it's so hard to get out. But that, that goal got me, like I jumped up. Like that, like that kid is something else. I mean, clearly hockey runs in that family as his young, as his younger brother plays in the league. Their father was in the league for many years. I would just give him the consummate trophy right now. Like the Panthers could get swept in the Stanley Cup finals and lose every game eight to nothing and who name somebody on the Vegas Golden Knights and they could score all eight goals in every single game, score thirty two goals in four games, and I would still give the consummate trophy to Matthew Kachuk because of what he's done for this Panther team. And I know that I have to believe that Friend of the show, Chris Moore, had him on before. Used to work, used to call games for the Carolina or for the Florida Panthers. He's he was probably grinning ear to ear when Kachuk put that goal in. And I, I once the Rangers got eliminated, I was just I was just basically looking for chaos, like let let all the craziness happen. So and you know what? I'm not disappointed. The Seattle Kraken beat the Colorado Avalanche. Who saw that coming? Nobody. As we said, the, the Panthers beat Boston. Nobody saw that coming. The Maple Leafs finally won a, a playoff series. I think I think people did see that one coming. I said I'd believe it when I saw it, so I guess now I can't pick them to lose in the first round every year, and I'm going to have to go pick them to win a round or two until they burn me again and again and again. And then I'll start picking them to lose in the first round like they like they usually do. So that was a little surprising. Uh, I was not necessarily rooting for the Devils to beat the Hurricanes, but I was just kind of, I actually did want to see how the Devils did in a tougher competition game than they did against the Rangers. And obviously they, the Hurricanes were the better team and beat them accordingly. I would have liked to have seen Edmonton beat Vegas, even though I had a feeling Vegas was going to win. I, I wanted to see Edmonton make that, take that next step. But at that point, once your team gets out, like if you're going to continue watching, which for certain sports I do, others I don't, I want pure chaos. It's like March Madness. Once you lose your national champion, which for some people it's in the first week, for some people it's in the second week, after that, just give me every upset you can find me because that's that's more fun in the long run. And that's what ultimately draws more people in to watch. 
Because, you know, if the same teams win every year, it gets boring. It gets stale. And if you're if you're looking at the same teams over and over and over again, you're just like, I don't care. Because I, I know it's going to be Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, and Kansas in the Final Four every year. But no, but when you have, you know, St. Peter's make the run to the Elite Eight, or you have uh, you know, Florida Gold Coast in 2013, uh you know, you had you had a sixteen beat a one this year. It it brings attention. It makes people talk it gives people a reason to talk about it. And that's why I like where the NHL conference finals have been, because you have your share of drama. You have your you have your good storylines. And it it bothers me and I know it shouldn't because hockey is a niche sport, and I get that. But the fact that they're getting trounced in the ratings by NBA playoff games where, you know, you had, you had all your big stars in the conference finals with the exception of Giannis. Like you had, you had LeBron, you had Jokic, you had Tatum. You want to say you didn't have Embiid? Okay. I'll give you that one. But you still had Jimmy Butler. Like, like you had players who, who've been there before. And, it feels very predictable. Like the like the NBA playoffs, I, I I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but I like I really believe that the NBA regular season doesn't matter. Like the like the NBA playoffs, like I was actually a little surprised when seeing how the Nuggets manhandled the Lakers. I I was I figured they were going to try to get someone was going to try to get LeBron one more ring. Like the NHL, you don't have I don't think you have that as much. Like I. I, I'd be lying if I didn't think that there was some string pulling and like I'm not gonna go into the whole conspiracy theory because that's not what I'm here for. But the fact that a conference final game gets two million views for the NHL and gets ten for the NBA, I don't think that's right. I think it, I think an NHL conference final game should be pushing way more than that. I think you should at least be at six, seven million. It's the conference finals. It's on ESPN and TNT. You know, ESPN paid a lot of money for the rights of those games. How are you not marketing that as well as you are the NBA? I, I, I understand that the NBA is going to draw more people, and you since you paid more money for it, that's what's going to take priority. I understand. But if you have these on, if you have both of them on your network, why wouldn't you give them the same kind of airplay? You know, give people a reason to watch it. You know, show them why. Why you paid the billions of dollars that you did for the broadcasting rights for the ESPN Plus package where you can watch all the games, which I, I, I love that fact. I, like I was going to get rid of ESPN Plus, you know, once they started jacking up the UFC pay-per-views. Because I, wa- I wasn't watching them often enough to justify it. But because I can watch the all the hockey games out of market, I keep it for that reason. Because like I, I do enjoy watching a Red Wings game on like a random November night. I, I like I like watching the Edmonton Oilers or Vancouver Canucks. And they since they only come to New York once or twice a year to play the Rangers Islanders, like you don't get to see them as often. But you have that advantage. You have that, you have that right at your fingertips and you don't use it. So that's why you're getting, that's why the NHL gets crushed in the ratings. And that's why it will always be behind football, baseball, basketball. And 
Well, I don't want that to be. I accept that. But that doesn't make it right. doesn't mean I like it. I, I believe hockey should be much higher and should have much more airplay and should get much more respect. So that way I don't have to defend to a friend of mine who maybe he's still maybe he's still getting up off his chair for the fact that I talked about the NBA playoffs for 10 minutes, that I don't have to explain to him why I felt a game was over at a certain score where he could tell me, yeah, when it's 98-88, I don't think it's over. Like, okay, that's that's good for you. You didn't watch the Rangers all season long. So that's, so when I said the game was over at 2 nothing, why I said it was over. Where I could I won't say that about the Vegas Golden Knights in a game, that the game is down 2 nothing because I know what they're capable of. I know that they can they can make a comeback because they're going to make the change that they need to. To to me that's where hockey and basketball are different because you know basketball you can score you can score in bunches where hockey you can score bunches in bunches is three goals. You know if you put up you put up four goals a game you're going to win more often than not. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like you got to put up 100 506 points a night in the NBA to consistently win. If you're putting up 90 points, you're probably going like 28 and 54. And your coach is getting fired because you're not scoring enough. You know, you, like you got to be do you got to be doing really you got to be putting up like two goals a game in the NHL to be doing that. And that's where we see teams like the Arizona Coyotes, who they can't even get their own arena, which is like that whole situation is just horrible. I, I feel bad for the Coyotes fans. I feel bad for the players. Like, it's, it's cool to see them in a college arena and especially because it's a college that I went to. Like, it's cool to watch that. Like, when the Ranger went out there, I, I watched that game just to kind of see it, how it would work. But that's not, that's not right. To be playing in a 5,000 seat arena, when everybody else is playing in a fifteen to twenty thousand seater, like that, does, it's not you can't compete with that. So of course the, the even if they when they sold out every game, which I read they did, they still drew like two hundred thousand fans, which is nothing. Where everybody else is drawing, you know, seven eight hundred thousand fans a year because of the fact they have a twenty thousand seat arena. You can't compete with that. And that, that's why I, at this point, now that the, uh, the Tempe Entertainment District got shut down, at this point, as, as much as I hate to say, I think the, I think the play is you, they have to move. Like, clearly the, the, the interest is not there. The, the team is not good. And the community clearly doesn't show that they want them. Which is sad because they like they they could hockey in Arizona could have been a lot bigger had people actually given the time of day to them. Or had they gone to stayed in Phoenix or gone to Scottsdale when they when they went to Glendale and said. But that's in here and there. They're not making the playoffs anytime soon. We want to talk about the ones that are in the playoffs. Knights and Stars tomorrow. Will the Knights finish out the Dallas Stars or will we see a game seven? Heat and Celtics tomorrow. Will the Celtics finish the comeback or will the Heat finally buckle down and finish it to go play the Nuggets in the NBA Finals? That's going to just about do it for me tonight. 
And I want to thank you all for listening, wherever you may be, and continue enjoying your Memorial Day weekend, wherever you are. You know, it's supposed to be really nice tomorrow. Go out, have some fun, play some golf, have some drinks, go to go to the barbecue, charcoal over propane. Again, that's my opinion. I know propane's good. Charcoal is better. But that that's just one person's opinion. So that's going to do it for me today. Got to sh- give a shout-out to my man Brian behind the glass. And for all of you listening, I'm Andy Sukoff. Have a good night. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.